Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 161. Hey, my riches, how are you? In the last two months, I felt more than ever how the world is one big community. We've been never connected as we were at this short period of time of the coronavirus. And if any of us needed a proof that what Mark Schaefer wrote in his book, Marketing Rebellion, that the most human company wins, or that what David Newman Scott and Rayco Scott wrote in their book, Phonocracy, about turning customers into fans and fans into customers, is the right path today? We've got it in these last two months. It's all about people. So, if you ask me today, where should you focus on with your one dollar and one minute? How to maximize any minute of your time today? At which channel? I have one answer for you. At this moment, it should definitely be Facebook groups. Either with your own group around the main problem that your customers need to solve, or as a very active leading member on a group where your customers are, you should be active in Facebook groups. I invite you to join one of my two Facebook groups to see how I do that, and I think it can be another stage in turning your entrepreneurship into a business success story. If you are a woman entrepreneur, look for women entrepreneurs starting out on Facebook. And for all entrepreneurs, look for entrepreneurial marketing success. I hope you'll find it relevant to you. And I look forward to meeting you there. My guest today, Sean Castrina, said a good business starts on one of three foundations, solves a problem, meets a need, or satisfy a desire. He told me, I experienced a need and started Advantage Handyman. Not a sexy business. Well, it turned into a multi-million dollar company. Let's hear how he did that. Sean Castrina lost his dream job 25 years ago and decided he would never be dependent on an employer for his financial security again. He became a millionaire at 36 years old by becoming a serial entrepreneur, starting more than 20 companies and currently running nine companies. His newest book, The World's Greatest Business Plan, helps people by providing a simple step-by-step plan for those who cannot afford to fail. He has contributed to some of the most recognized media outlets, including Forbes, Inc. Magazine, Yahoo Finance, NSNBC, as well as a guest lecturer at some of America's finest colleges. Let's hear 
Sean Castrina. Sean Castrina, what a pleasure to have you here. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I was waiting for our conversation and I'm really excited towards what we are going to talk about today. And I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you to share with us, what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you heading? Okay. I just, when I'm passionate about this over the next 30 days and the previous 30 days, I just finished my third book called The World's Greatest Business Plan. And the reason why I wrote The World's Greatest Business Plan is because too many business people, you know, too many startups, they don't have a plan. And so I went on Amazon and I bought the first page of books just to see for (laughs) myself. You know, I speak at a lot of colleges, but so I've seen textbooks or but I, I bought the whole first page of them. It was like 10 books. And one book was worse than the next. They were outdated. They were written by professors. They were way too exhaustive. You know, 400 pages. You know, it was more like a doctorate's dissertation. <laughs> so I said, now, you got to make this simpler because I always thought there's really only 25 questions that really need to be answered. So I wrote the world's greatest business plan. And for your audience, I'm doing this during the coronavirus. You can actually get that free. It's a $20 book. Wow. If you go to my website, seancastrina.com, just like my name, it'll be the first thing it offers you. We're not going to sell you anything. You just, it'll send you the digital copy. You'll have it in like five seconds in your email. You can actually type out your business plan. And so it's, it's yours. You can have it. We offer it on like page 60 of the book. We hide it. <laughs> and then we like, like page 60, we go, Hey, if you go to this, you can actually get a free copy and we just put it on the main site during the coronavirus. So anybody who wants it can get it. We will put the link of the show notes of this interview so everyone can see that and yeah, get it. It's that. 150 pages. I mean, it's a legit good book. I also put a free bonus chapter in there on how to pitch your business plan to investors. So it's definitely very practical and it'll definitely help you formulate a plan for your business or talk you out of going into business on this venture that you might think is going to be good. This business plan may reveal something during the process that makes you pause or improve. Sean, I've got to ask you, I've been working with entrepreneurs and startup founders for 12 years, and I see a great difference between the plan that works for them, the goals and how they plan their activities, how they are going on, and what they call business plan, which is the one they want to show mainly investors. Do you see a difference between them? Yeah, the problem with too many business plans, and again, I I talk about a Bermuda Triangle that startup founders get into the bad habit of, there's three coordinates that lead to death for a startup. Mm -hmm. And you're addressing the first one. The first reason why most startups fail is is that the startup founder falls in love with their idea. Right. And so they want to reverse engineer everything from that idea succeeding. So they picture this business working. So they do the business plan to answer everything to give them that answer because they want it to work. Where a business plan should absolutely challenge your idea. And if your idea can't pass the, the rigorous test of a business plan, then you darn sure shouldn't move forward on it with money. And any good investor is going to pound you on the questions that I would ask, but you need to open your idea up for criticism. I always say, you know, when you introduce your idea to the marketplace, yeah, you're going to find out how good of an idea that is. And I would much rather test it rigorously through the business plan process mm, right. than put up $100,000, introduce it to the marketplace and nobody wants it. Hmm. 
But do you talk about the practical plan that they're supposed to work by, or this is the plan that they're going to show their investors, or you think it they can be- They kind of go both. It's kind okay. of, this is the problem with a business plan in the ones that I read. Business plan should accomplish a couple things. Number one, it should convince you, the startup founder, that this is a good idea. <laughs> and yeah. thus, it should also parallel- convince investors or people, you know, partners, whoever's going to be involved in your business, they would look at this business plan and after reviewing it would go, wow, yeah, I think this has a real strong chance of working. So it, it has to build confidence in everybody that's involved. It has to do that. I mean, that's critical that it accomplishes that, you know, that's one of the many things it needs to accomplish, but that's a, a fundamental part of the business plan. And you know, because you established more than 20 businesses, isn't it? That's correct. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, the problem that I have found is, is that the businesses that succeeded well for me yeah. were the businesses where I personally experienced a problem. Hmm. I couldn't get somebody to do something for me. There wasn't enough competition. I couldn't get enough people to bid on the work or do the work. There was always a problem that I had, that I experienced a need, that I found difficulty in solving, yeah. that became my best businesses. This is unfortunately what other people do. They get excited about something and then reverse engineer the business from there. I love golf, but I don't mm. start a driving range or go buy a golf course. <laughs> you know, Richard Branson loves sailing, but to the best of my knowledge, he doesn't have a sailing construction business. No. You know, where he constructs yachts and, yeah. and races. No, boats. he doesn't. We all know right. what he's got. Typically, he either finds a need. That's how the airline started. He tried to fly mm -hmm. to the Virgin Islands and he got pushed off first class and, you know, chartered a flight. Other people thought it was a great idea. And boom, you have Virgin Airlines. Mm -hmm. So you typically solve a problem. And because you can't, you know, pick what problem you're going to face, it has to evolve where too many entrepreneurs just go, well, I love such and such, you know, and, and they mm -hmm. try to build a business around that passion. And that's a mistake. Passion is not your business idea. Hmm. Passion is because you think it's a great idea and it's going to be profitable and it's going to pay for your passions. You got to be passionate about all the other things. The idea that hits you may not be that sexy. Can you tell me the stories of a few of your businesses? Yeah. One of my most successful companies is I started 20 years ago, I started a handyman company. Now that is the least sexiest business you can imagine. <laughs> it depends you who you're remember. asking, but yeah. Right, yeah, it is the least sexiest business. Now I don't know the difference between two screwdrivers. You know, okay. you got the flathead one and the one that kind of has like a, you know, crosses over. I don't know anything. I could not put together a three-piece birdhouse to this day, <laughs> but I owned a magazine at the time in cities on the East Coast. And I wanted to convert my dining room in my home to an office because we had a newborn child and I wanted to, I didn't need to leave the house to work. I could work from home. Okay. And so I wanted to hire somebody to do this work, to convert this, you know, put lights in the ceiling, take out the chandelier, little things. Sure. I couldn't get anybody to do it. They, all the people that were supposed to give me an estimate to do the work, they never showed up or they didn't show up when they said. Then when I hired somebody to do it, they didn't show up. They showed up, you know, they gave me excuses. Then they didn't want to charge me what they agreed to. I had a problem. So I said, I'm going to start a business. There's got to be other people like me. I couldn't find people. I saw a tremendous need. Okay. And I started Advantage Handyman, 
Okay, not a sexy business. Well, it's now turned into advantage home contracting 20 years later, it has eight companies and will do anything for your house from fix a light to build you a you know, million dollar custom home. Oh, but it started because I couldn't get anybody to turn my dining room into an office, which was like one day of work. So it started something very little. It was based on a need that I experienced. Mm-hmm. And that has morphed into, you know, a multi, multi, multi-million dollar company. And that's just one of the businesses I've started that, you know, again, turned into about 11 companies over the years. Well, what did you do different with this company? compared to everything else that you saw out there in terms of what you did? Our competitive advantage, our differentiation. What I found is, is that for one, is that most people, if you called a contractor, you typically got a voicemail. So you never actually spoke with anybody. It was, you know, hello, this is Billy Bob's Carpentry. Leave me a message and I'll give you Mm -hmm. a call back. And he calls you back three days later, Mm -hmm. you know, if he runs out of work. So I thought from the very (laughs) beginning, you should call and speak with a live voice. Remember, this is 20 years ago. Yeah. And I didn't think it should be like a um, professional re- you know, answering service because they can't really answer any questions other than take down your information. So the one investment I made from the beginning is I hired somebody to be in the office who could answer your questions and schedule your estimate when you called. So there would be no delay. When you called, that person would say, yes, we can do that. And I can have Joe out there tomorrow morning to give you an estimate between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. So that was the first thing that I experienced that I offered that I wasn't getting and I was disappointed with is that you'd actually speak with somebody. The second thing was, is that I felt like you should be professional in your appearance. You should have a uniform on and you should conduct yourself professionally and not look like you just came out of the woods. Mm -hmm. So my people wore uniforms. Mm -hmm. That was important to me. Third thing is, is that I wanted to know who was working in the homes. You're going to, you know, go inside someone's home. So I vetted my people and made sure that I was putting people in your home that I would put in my home. And I would put people that had a minimum of 10 years experience and that we had kind of checked into their backgrounds a little bit. So that was different than anybody where normally you called somebody on the phone. You don't know who they are. You know, you don't know what their background. They could steal from you and just make you feel very uncomfortable. Sure. So I was very specific about that. And then finally, one of the big things we did is that when we finished the job, we would follow up with a a (laughs) survey to make sure you were happy. And that was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. That was a simple business model. I still get those survey cards. They go on my desk. Nobody can touch them. They are, (laughs) to this day, they go on my desk. You think they're putting the holy sacrament on my desk. Um, (laughs) And there are four questions and it just gives me a good idea of how the customer experience was. But that was different than what anybody else was doing. So what ended up happening, and this is the lifetime value of a customer, they go, well, Sean, your company did a great job installing that door. Could you finish my bathroom? We'd love to have you do that. And then I'd go out and go, okay, I need to partner with somebody who knows how to finish bathrooms. So I'd go find the best reliable person that I thought understood how to do bathrooms. And I would partner with that person. Mm -hmm. So that person would become a part of my partnership group. And we'd set up a whole company based on bathrooms under our advantage name. And I did this eight different times. So I, I, every time we started seeing a tremendous demand from our customer base, asking us to do something, we knew it was time to start a company to do that. Wow. Do you uh, continue doing that until today? Oh, oh, yeah, it makes me, uh, yeah, it makes me more money than the president of the United States. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So you decided not to run for presidency. Yeah, why? Yeah, why? I mean, it's, I make passive income because I I don't know how to do any of these repairs. I don't do anything. You know, I created the company and I handle marketing, but 
I don't do anything day to day within the company. I have partners. And, and so from the beginning, I didn't, I remember I owned a magazine, so I couldn't work within the company anyway. I just kind of created it, got it started, kind of created what, how I thought it should run, but I was never going to work in it day in and day out, which mm. is the e-myth theory. You know, too many business owners get trapped inside their companies. They become sure. the technician and all they do is have a job. Yeah. So yeah, I still own that among other companies, but that's, you know, that's still a, a multi-million dollar company. Wow. Do you see yourself as an entrepreneur? Oh, absolutely. And there's a difference. I just want to say this to your audience. There's a difference between a business owner and an entrepreneur. Please. And that may, that it. may, people may disagree with me on that. And I'm debated anywhere at any time. You can be a business owner. Let's say you were an electrician and you didn't want to work for the person you were working for. So you set up your little electrician shop, Joe's Electrical. Okay. And you put a little ad in the paper and they call you, you go out and do the work, or maybe you got a couple of people working under you. That's a business and you run it and your goal is to survive and be able to make money and have some flexibility. And it's a singular business. Mm -hmm. You had an entrepreneurial season to start it. Maybe it was six months, but since then you've never expanded that business. You don't offer any other services other than, you know, it's just a very singular business. Mm-hmm. You're not an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is an opportunist. Hmm. Okay. In other words, you look at Richard Branson, he's many, many companies. Donald Trump, many, many companies. Mark Cuban, many, many companies. You know, look at Shark Tank. They're, yeah. they're considering buying businesses every time they hear a good idea. An entrepreneur is very opportunistic, even if it's with, like, let's look at Bill Gates. Now, we know him with Microsoft, but Microsoft has bought over 100 companies. Sure. They're an extraordinarily entrepreneurial. He's entrepreneurial. They just do it under the umbrella and the resources of Microsoft. Sure. sure. They invented yeah, so many things, of course. Yeah. Look at Amazon. It's, they're always buying companies. They're extraordinarily entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm always looking. Can you give the best advice for any entrepreneur? What is the best advice that you can give them? Yeah. Solve a problem from the beginning. Don't fall in love with your idea yet, yet. At some point you can after you've done your business plan, but in the beginning, a good business starts with one of three foundations. And this is the best advice I can give you. You want to start a business that meets a need that people have, a big need. A lot of people have this problem, like they have trouble sleeping. So you have all those snoring medicines or pillows, okay? Whatever the case may be. So you want to solve a need. Okay. I mean, you want to solve a problem. I apologize. Solve a problem. You want to meet a need. Okay. A lot of people have this need, groceries, cars. Okay. okay you want, so you want to solve a problem, meet a need or satisfy a desire. That's a BMW. There's a difference mm -hmm. between a Ford. Okay. Or let's say a BMW, a BMW is a desire, a sandals vacation in America where you go with your wife, you don't have to take your kids. That's a desire. You mm -hmm. know, that's a, the next level. So you typically, great businesses do one of three things. They either solve a problem, they either meet a need like an airline, or they satisfy a desire. That'd be fine first class, flying private, okay? You, have, you, know, you can stay in certain hotels and then you have really nice resorts. That's going from a need to a desire. 
So I have found that 99% of every business has to fall into one of those three things. Mm, and you've got to have a massive audience for that. You know, if it's just you and your buddies like think this is a great idea, that, that doesn't necessarily mean there's a huge marketplace waiting for it. So again, I always start with one of those three things. And I want to know that there's a, there's a lot of people that want, need, or want my problem solved. I love that. You've got a lot of successes. We already talked about them a bit, but we will talk about them in a minute. But I would like to ask you to share with us your biggest, most critical failure with customers, the one that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or one of them. The tendency that we have when a customer questions us or asks us is we want to defend. We immediately go on the defensive. So a customer calls your company or sends in a complaint, you immediately get on the defense. The biggest thing that I learned is, is that I had a customer, you know, confront, you know, and say, hey, you guys didn't do this. And I found myself really quick to defend, like I was a lawyer, like I had to defend my company. Hmm. And I learned to just, and this customer said to me, Sean, you're not listening to me. They real politely just kind of look, Sean, you're talking, you're not listening. That was a massive failure because I thought about all those customers that I had dealt with prior to then hmm. where I defended us and I just should have just shut my mouth, let my wow. customer talk for five minutes, took notes. When they were finished, said back to them, John, if I understand you correctly, what you're disappointed with in our company is we failed to do A, B, C, and D. That's what I should have done. Hmm. So I didn't learn that until I was like 35. So for 10 years, I was a butthole, you know, I was a rear end. I was whatever you want to call it. Okay. Because the customer would share that. with me a complaint and I would go, well, John, I think maybe you didn't explain it right to my people. And we just didn't understand it. And that wasn't in the contract. And I defended, I immediately went on the defensive and I should have just said, tell me again, what you see the problem and just shut up <laughs> and let them talk. <laughs> that has so changed everything. Really? You felt the change? What caused now, when, the change? Well, that customer, when that customer politely looked at me and just kind of said, Sean, let me talk, just kind of patted me on the shoulder and said, please let me talk. Hmm. And, and it, it hit me. That was my aha moment. That wow. the number one thing when you're dealing with a customer, the number one thing you can do is shut your mouth and give them the opportunity to talk and get it all out. Love and that. when they finish, 80% of the pressure has been let out. It's like letting the air out of a tire. Yeah. Just by letting them talk without interrupting them, they feel better. Hmm. They feel like you listened. And you do. And you do. And then when they're totally done, you don't defend anything. You confirm what they said. The magic word is, if I understand you correctly, what you're hmm. telling me is, our guy did not show up on time never called you and you waited around all day for our technician because you thought he was coming and he didn't come and they go yes and i'm really i go i completely understand that's unacceptable that should have never happened mm. see that's that's a different way of doing it than they call and i go well you know john was kind of busy that day and you know he should have called <laughs> you no shut your mouth <laughs> talk Great advice. It's not only a story, it's also a great advice. So many of us, I think, me included, so many times we forget to do that. And I came from service, so I did it a lot, but I also sometimes forget. And I think it's so important to remember that. 
Now I would like to ask you to tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as a result of the right customer focus or something that you did right about approaching your customers. And perhaps this is the same story. It's a beautiful story about success as well. I think what I have learned is more than anything is that your business is your customers. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think the customer is always right. I'm going to preface it with that, that 90, I say you can always learn something from whatever a customer is telling you, but 95% of the time they're, they're valid in their concerns. 5% of the time, you know, they may not be, they just have a request that's unreasonable. It has nothing you've ever promised, but they just assume it. So let me just start with 95% of the time. I think a customer is right. And 5% of the time, I don't think they're necessarily right. But what I have found and I'm going to go back to this home handyman company that became Advantage Home Contracting because I think it's a great illustration. And why do I think it might be my greatest success? Because it was a business that I thought would make $2,000 a week. That was the goal. I thought if we could bring in $2,000 a week, that would be incredible. You know, I'd make probably $500 a week passively, and that would be incredible. Well, now I make lots and lots of money. It's made me millions of dollars. Okay. Mm-hmm. And why? Because I figured out that once you have a customer, you have the most valuable commodity in business is your customer. A customer that loves your company, that wants to do business with you, there is nothing more valuable. And right. now you have to just to do every day, you got to wake up and just say, what more can I give them? Hmm. What more can I give them? How can I create an even better buying experience? How can I make my customers know that I appreciate their business? If you wake up and that's kind of your North Star, hmm. what can I give my customers more? How can I make their buying experience better? How can I show appreciation for their business? That's it. You got that. You know, we're in, in the middle of a coronavirus here, obviously in America, sure. and businesses are struggling, and our phone still rings off the hook. Well, it still rings hmm. off the hook. So. You know, there's nothing more valuable. You have no greater commodity than a happy customer. Mm, I love that and the way you talked about that. And can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus, marketing or sales? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and help you succeed and might help others as well. See, I, me, I don't think it's the software or it's the program. It's the system that how you utilize it. Let me just give you an example. I don't want anything very complicated in our office. Okay. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, electricity goes out sometimes and we change over staff. So I always wanted my office staff to be able to be replaced within one day. If somebody quit, or we lost somebody, I wanted to be able to bring somebody off the street and be able to take over their job. So from the very beginning, I have kept things fairly simple in that we use QuickBooks is still our number one source of keeping track of our books financially. The Mm -hmm. accountant will use that. And yet when you enter anything, you still have a customer file. And then you can export that obviously to an email program. Okay, you know, contacts and, and, and all the different things. So we still do everything from QuickBooks and we also do a paper trail. We still keep wow. a big spiral notebook on their desk. I have three girls that work in there and they still write down every single phone call. What was the source of it? 
That's marketing. I, I want to, I know every customer that ever contacted our company and how the genesis of that moment, who gets credit. And I have, I have a customer that's a 20 year lifetime value customer. They may have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars with us, but I know maybe the first time they heard about us was through a postcard. Well, because their neighbor bragged about us. So QuickBooks is probably the number one center of our universe. <laughs> and, but it's, I think it's what we do with that information. Of course. You know, we, we really utilize it well. We do follow-up phone calls from it. You know, our, our accounting is from it. You know, I, I get a dashboard system every week. Okay. You know, to keep track. So I think yeah. it's what you do with what you have. Whatever one works for you, but you need to constantly be aware of what's going on in your company. How many customers, you know, have looked, you know, tried to do business with you today, tomorrow, this week, last month? Is it increasing, declining? Is your income increasing or declining? Is your profit margins increasing or declining? Whatever software can provide that for you, that's what you need to be using. And I just think it's more important to know the measurables, these key numbers. You know, it's like looking at an EKG if you're working at a hospital or, right. you know, looking at a heart rate monitor. I know the key numbers that I need to have access to in a minute. Hmm. Yeah. You know, there are many things that affect one's success. However, I believe that for each of us, there is one thing that really works for them and makes them succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? Yeah, uh, partnering. I learned because, again, with construction company, the handyman company, that was my you know, first really getting into something I didn't know anything about, but I just knew there was a need for it. So I knew I needed to partner in that business. So immediately within the first year, I gave up my income that I could have got passively, and I brought on somebody who had 20 years of construction experience. And that took us from, you know, $2,000 a week to $10,000 a week real quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I kept doing that formula again. Remember when I talked about it, when we got into roofing and siding, I brought in partner who understood roofing and siding. So that brought us new customers. It satisfied my existing customers. And so I had a whole new company now, roofing and siding. And then I found somebody, I partnered with somebody with kitchens, partnered with somebody with bathrooms, partnered with somebody with big projects. I partner with people when I build a house. So in all my businesses and even in my fancy digital marketing companies that mm -hmm. I have, partnering has always been my, my super skill. It is a super skill because I must tell you that I think that most of my interviewees, which are all very successful entrepreneurs, most of them talk about partnering as the biggest failure. And here you are, saying that this is the skill that actually helped you succeed. What is your secret? They don't know how, a lot of times people don't know who to partner with. And there are rules of partnering that I think you have to follow. Let's just really look at the greatest companies. Disney partnership, McDonald's partnership, Hewlett Packard partnership. Um, uh, Apple was a partnership. Microsoft was a partnership. I mean, I can keep going down the line. You know, you can go with Uber was a partnership. Google was a partnership. You're starting mm -hmm. to see a pattern. They were all partners because what is a partnership? A partnership is when you realize that you can't do it all by yourself. Okay. That's the aha moment. That's for so, sure. And what makes it work? Is that you realize that this person that you're going to partner with can do something that you can't do. And without them, this business would not get started or be as successful. 
So they have to typically partnerships are based on these few fundamentals. You're going to partner with somebody who has time that you don't have. Okay. They, they can put time into this business because maybe you work a full-time job, but you came up with the, the idea <laughs> or you partner with somebody who has expertise and experience. That's why I partner because I don't know how to do these things. <laughs> okay. Or you partner with somebody who has money. They have the initial capital that you don't have and maybe capital or indoor credit. Mm-hmm. So typically, you, or finally, they can fulfill a key role within the company that you need. You may partner with an attorney because you're starting a company that's going to have a lot of trademarks and patents and, and intellectual property. So you know, it wouldn't be bad to partner with a, an attorney because that's going to save you a lot of money in legal fees and they'll, that'll be their sweat equity for their position. But clearly, that would be a very valuable person to have if, in fact, you have a lot of intellectual properties, trademarking and patents and things of that nature. So my point is, is that you need to know why you partnered in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it has to be a very strong, valuable reason so that 10 years from now, when you wonder why they're still getting paid, you're going, wow, without them, I could have never done that because they did this. Mm -hmm. And then you need to have a strong partnership agreement where they understand they have to fulfill this role forever. In other Mm -hmm. words, you can't, in other words, each person is, you know, has a role to fill in the company. And if they don't do it, then they lose their partnership or they can get bought out for a dollar or whatever it is. But you got to go into a partnership with the rules set out that this is, you know, this is your responsibility. And if at any time you stop doing it, we can buy you out. Mm -hmm. So I I think that's the key is that most people go into a partnership and they don't really know why they're partnering with the person. And number two is they don't set up the rules from the beginning. You got to have a prenuptial agreement in business. I love that. My last question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been imagining this journey of marketing and taking a position in the mind of your customers and building these relationships that you talked about. I always imagine it as climbing a mountain, you know, step after step after step, and then climb another mountain with another product, just my imagination. And that's some point I started to ask my guests and that's what I'm asking you whether you ever climb the mountain or wish to climb a mountain or do you have any relationships with mountains at all you know I I live in a beautiful area in Virginia but and I like hiking but I no I'm not a big mountain guy though I've never ruled <laughs> out climbing a mountain but I do believe life and business absolutely parallels the journey of a mountain hmm Listen, the biggest problem that I think a lot of 25-year-olds below have is they want success overnight. Hmm. And it's the number one thing I can tell you is is that you need to be patient, even though nobody wants to be patient. But you need to have something that so motivates you that it's worth 10 years of your life. Did you have to wait 10 years? Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't, you know, every business I had, yeah, it might have got going you know, in the first two years, but I didn't see the true great fruit of it for, you know, three to five years. And then the crazy fruit of it, 10 years, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, it was completely passive and I didn't have to work very hard and, and we had a nice customer base, but mm-hmm. you know, very, there's very few overnight successes. And, and I'm just saying that you have to, you need to have a goal that's your goal needs to be so motivating to you that if it did by chance take 10 years, it would be worth it. Now, I'm not saying you want it to take 10 years and I surely have one year goals, but sometimes we have such a big goal and we think it's going to be done in a year. And I'm just telling you, 
crazy big goals don't get knocked down in a year. They sure. are a mountain. <laughs> and the view is great at the top of anything. You know, I compare it to a roller coaster. I love roller coasters. And when you get okay. up that first lift that kind yeah. of propels you through the rest of the ride, you know, yeah. it goes really so. <laughs> then you get to the top and you got the view of the entire park. Yeah. And that's kind of like how life is and, and starting a great business is, you know, there's going to be a climb, but the best view is always at the top, the summit. That's mm -hmm. always the best view. And it's mm -hmm. the hardest to get to. Great. I love that. I think that's part of what I love because it is a journey and there are so many things in the way. And also when you get to the top, you still need to go down and perhaps hike another mountain. I would like to ask you, what is the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to uh, keep in touch? Yeah, we have a lot of free stuff at my website at seancastrina.com. And then I obviously I host a really brief podcast because I don't have a big attention span called the 10 Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. Just quick like five hour energy. I give you, you know, <laughs> what I, I teach you something. It's very quick. Um, but it's very granular. Um, so I, I think going to my website, you're going to get tons of free stuff. You're going to get my free new book. And it, if you like getting little shots of, of information in business, totally business stuff, you know, you're welcome to listen to the 10-Minute Entrepreneur Podcast. It's a nice compliment to this one. That's great. And uh, we will put all of the links in the show notes of this interview. John, I would like to thank you so much. I enjoy this conversation and really saw things from your point of view and from your point of view and it has been wonderful thank you so much great thank you very much <laughs> thank you and take care all right bye 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 and for you our listeners until the next time it all goes down to this you either reach or miss keep reaching your goals and vision bye Thank you for listening to The Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.